have a question about your home? Call Ken the Contractor. Ken Patterson is a Class A licensed contractor who has designed and built multi-million dollar commercial and industrial projects and single family homes up and down the East Coast. And now, Ken the Contractor brings his years of experience to the radio. Roy, hi, you're on the air with Ken Patterson. Hey guys, I love the show. and You know what, I really need to send you some pictures of the projects you guys have helped me complete because We'd love really, to have without them. your help, it, it would never have happened. Great, thank you so much. We'd love to have them too. Who knows, okay. they may wind up on on my website. Do you have a question about your home inside or out? Call Ken the Contractor. Welcome to another hour of Ken the Contractor. Ken Patterson is Ken the Contractor. Along with Ken, I'm Jim Britt. Thanks for making us part of your weekend plans. If you have a question about your home inside or out, you can always reach Ken at 800-614-2975. That's 800-614-2975. And don't forget, you can leave voicemail and email questions at our website. That's KenTheContractor.com. Now, there are a lot of us in the world that are savvy when it comes to buying and selling real estate, homes, office buildings. We do it on a regular basis. But what we have to realize is that every day there are still a whole bunch of first-time home buyers in the marketplace. And the world is changing at such a pace today, not only the electronic technology, but business technology and business requirements, that whether we have done this for a long period of time or whether we're a first-time home buyer, there are always new things we need to stay up on. And I want to touch on some of the basics for those of you especially that are first-time home buyers, but for those of you that maybe bought your last house 15, 20 years ago, there might be some new things that you need to be aware of if you're going back into the marketplace and you're ready to buy again. So these are some tips for those of you that are saying, I think I'm ready to buy, but am I? First thing I want you to understand is know the real estate cost, know the operating cost of being a home owner. Now, for so many that have rented for years and years, you understand you write that check. That's your rental payment. At the end of the month, you maybe you pay your light bill. Some of you may have a water bill, a phone bill to pay, and that's it. You don't deal with maintenance. You don't deal with other aspects of home ownership. You may not even deal with insurance if it's part of your rental cost. So I want you to sit down and be fair to yourself in terms of assessing the cost of actually owning and operating real estate. Secondly, when you do that, don't stretch beyond your means. That's part of the reason we've been in this mess across the the world, not just the nation, in the last several years is because people were buying things outside their ability to pay for. And that is no fun. If you have ever been there, I will assure you that that level of stress is not something you ever want to deal with. So be sure you know what you can afford. Now, the only way you know that is by first understanding the true cost, and that's not just the mortgage payment, but the true cost of owning and operating a home. Next, I want you to be sure that you have enough money saved up to make this happen because I've been involved in transactions over the years where people come to the table and they've got their down payment and they have their closing cost, and you will ask a question, well, does that leave you a little something to buy draperies or or maybe window treatments or how about a little furniture for this new house? Well, no, that'll come years later because we don't have an extra penny at this stage. You don't want to move into a house with that, folks. So I'm going to suggest to you that you work a little bit harder on your savings, maybe reduce some front-end costs so that you can put a little more money aside if you're preparing to buy this house. So when you move in, you can deal with all those little extra items that you're going to have on the front side. Also, now if you've made those decisions and you're ready to get started, I want you to take a look at your credit background. 
because you're going to be slapped in the face if you really don't know what your credit happens to be. And some of these things two, three, four years ago that you were frivolous about may come back to bite you right now. One, you want to do a credit score check. And at least once a year, all three major credit companies will give you a free update on your credit score. You want to get those. You want to read through them. You want to take care of any discrepancies or problems, things that are not accurate. You want to be sure you have resolved that before you start out talking to lenders. Credit scores impact you in in two very substantial ways when it comes to home mortgages. One, first and foremost, your ability to get a mortgage. But two, your interest rate. Even though you may qualify for a mortgage, you have a marginal credit score, the fact that it is low, you're going to pay more money for that loan than somebody with a better credit score. So these are two major things that will impact you long term. And if you're borrowing for 30 years, you're going to be paying for it year after year after year. So do what you can to be sure you've got a good credit score. Work to clean it up. If it takes you a few months, it may take you a year. Set some money aside in your savings account. Work on an improved credit score. You're going to find that you're much better off going forward when it comes time to not only buy, but also to borrow that money. Then I want you to understand that there's something called uh, PMI, private mortgage insurance, that comes into play. If you're putting down anything less than 20%, most lenders, most mortgage companies are going to require you to purchase PMI, that'll be part of your monthly mortgage payment. And depending on the amount you're borrowing, that could end up being $75, $100, $150 a month tacked on to your mortgage payment. So you need to throw that in your equation when you're looking at all of these things. And at that state point, you're ready to shop for lenders. Always do so. There are plenty of them today, especially if you've got a great credit score. You're going to find lenders are ready to compete for your business if your credit score happens to be outstanding. Always avoid a mortgage with a prepayment penalty because most of us do not keep mortgages the entire length of time that it's written for initially. You don't want to be penalized if you pay it off in three years, five years, you refinance. Be sure you read the fine print in all of those documents. And then bring a realtor into the picture when you're ready to buy. They're going to be a great source. I think last year almost 80% of homes were sold are purchased using a realtor based on statistics from the National Association of Realtors across the country. They are your resource, and if you're the buyer, they cost you zero. The seller pays their fee. So keep that in mind. You're turning down a f- absolutely free service if you're the buyer. Let the realtor be your voice and help you understand the market and the home that you're looking for. Last item, keep in mind that the interest on your primary residence is tax deductible, so keep up with these things. It's going to help you at year end once you get into the home. Some key items if you're a first time home buyer, can't write it all down, go to my website, kenthecontractor.com, and you'll be able to pick all this up. Now, I have heard some folks talk about mortgage insurance. If it's not part of getting your loan, that all mortgage insurance guarantees is that the people who lent the money get paid, not that your family would end up staying in the home in that particular See, circumstance. And that holds true for title insurance also. That's a misnomer. That's for another complete topic. But the lenders will require title insurance. It only protects them if the title's bad. And that holds true of the PMI. If you default, it pays the people that loaned you the money what you defaulted on. Right. doesn't protect you at all. Yeah. Uh, coming up this hour here with Ken the Contractor, our app of the week is going to be something that a lot of folks may end up needing, unfortunately, as we're here in hurricane season. That and our green building segment all coming up. You're listening to Ken the Contractor.
Welcome back to Ken the Contractor. Ken Patterson is Ken the Contractor. He's here answering questions about your home inside and out at 800-614-2975. That's 800-614-2975. Joining us right now is Bill. Bill, hi. You're on the air with Ken the Contractor. Yeah. Um, hi. Hi, Ken. Hi, Bill. Uh, yeah, i got a sticky problem. Um, uh, <laughs> I hate to kind of admit that... Uh, I've got some siding damage. It's it's not from the storm or anything. It's from some guy with went wild with a weed trimmer and cut through it. <laughs> well, at uh, least it wasn't a power washer. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, but the problem is, you know, that stuff fades, and I can't find. It's a non-standard color, and so I can't find. I got to order, you know, a whole two squares of it. I guess that's a hundred square feet or whatever, and. Uh, then I've got something that doesn't quite match, and if I go around to the other side of the building, it really doesn't match because you know the sun's not doesn't hit the other side of the building. Uh, it, uh, and I'm just wondering, uh, you know, if if I go to something like a, a polymer modified stucco, you know, like a drive it or a stow, I could. Uh, if I if I do something like a cement board, then I can't really blind nail that for top. Uh, course, you know, that butts up against the uh, vinyl. Um, is what, is what are this different the, materials that 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 would be good for? I mean, if you can't really match something like that, or is or is there a place? I heard that you could find scraps of siding at something like Habitat for Humanity. A guy told me at Lowe's, but uh, I went there and they didn't have anything. Yeah, it, it's going to be a shot in the dark to find leftover materials at places like that because they do have them, but to get the exact color and texture and size that you need, it's going to be very difficult. Is this the starter siding panel, the one that uh, is closest to grade? It's down, yeah, well, it's not just, it's a, cu- it's a couple, uh, one or two, uh, I'd have to go and look. Uh, it, it's a double four. And so I know it's at least that first course that's been damaged. And I think maybe might be a little bit of damage going up. All right. Now, is more. is this severe? Are these just holes that are in it, or has the panel been damaged beyond reuse? I'm asking you these questions for a reason. I'll tell you in a <laughs> yeah. moment. Yeah. Um, it, uh, well, that's kind of a matter. There, there's the guy kind of – there's some little strips about six inches long that – I mean, I guess if it was reinforced from behind or something, it, it would probably be okay. I'd rather do that than replace it with something that doesn't match. But see, uh, if I replace it, I've got to, I have all this extra siding that I don't need. Right now, so let's deal with the with what you just brought up, and that's where I'm going with this. I would look at having the panels repaired. They may have to be, as you said, reinforced from the back side. Some manufacturers, not all, but some manufacturers will make a vinyl repair kit. You can infill that. Mm. And it, now it's going to show up kind of like taking touch-up paint to your car. You got a scratch, you know, it may bl- It doesn't matter because dirt, there's dirt, dirt okay. covers that first course anyway. But I would be looking for that. You may even go online. I haven't done this in a long time, but you may even go online and find, uh, sources where you can order by mail through the internet. Uh, a vinyl repair kits that will be fairly close to that color. But if it's crinkled, you know, if it's bent and, and really gouged and torn, that's not going to work. That's why I was trying to understand your issue. It's more about some straight cuts or lines that yeah. are in there that could be patched. Yeah, it's. It, I think it could be patched, but I, I did go online. I went to 
there was a YouTube thing about how to how to repair vinyl, and they all they did was go cut some out somewhere else and and patch okay. it. But I don't have any extra somewhere else to patch. Well, I'm just going to ask: Do you have even a few small pieces left over from the original install? No. Okay. No. Then, then one other item you can look at, and that will be to find a piece. Could be an off-brand. It doesn't matter what brand it is, the color, the texture, rather, but find a color that is similar to the color that you have. Right. And you're going to have to pull the panels off from the bottom. Yeah. You will cut these as patches, much like you'd put a patch inside an, uh, a tire. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And patch it from the back side uh, with an adhesive that will bond that together. And then you can come back with a clear silicone over the surface, assuming these are not huge gouges. And I'm assuming that, from what you described, it's somebody with a weed whacker that's cut a a, a three sixteenths or a smaller gouge in that. Yeah, three sixteenths about. So. And, and this is probably what I would do. I, I would not want to have a completely different color all around the outside of my house, especially <laughs> if it's not severe. I would be patching it in this fashion, if it is a last resort. Uh, to put the material behind it, that's the backer, get it adhered well so it's watertight, and then come across the surface with a clear silicone because now it's going to start blending your color from the surface together. That'd be my approach. Bill, thank you. Good luck with the project. It is uh, Sue who joins us right now. Sue, hi, you're on the air with Ken the Contractor. Hi, Ken. Thanks for taking my call. Thank you. Uh, I'm calling about air filters that are used, you know, as part of your heating and cooling system. I tend to buy the more expensive ones that supposedly last for three months, and I date it and put it in. And um, when we recently had our air conditioning unit checked, they made a comment like, oh, I'm sure you'll be changing those soon, when in fact they've been in, you know, a month and a week or something. And according to the manufacturer's directions, they should last for three months, and I still have close to two months to go. So... Do we have a really dirty house and they're getting dirty faster, or are they really not worth spending the extra money for, or what should we do? No, actually, when we spend a little more money for air filters, we if you compare them side by side, you'll find that they're uh, either a different type of material, the, the fibers in them are closer together, they've right. got to allow air to pass through them, but they're going to collect more dust and dirt that's in the air, more hair, pet dander, all of those things. So right. the, the, the fairly inexpensive, those that are, are quick throwaway that we pay a dollar a piece for, they've got large right. openings in them. They do not collect as much from the air. So I think what you're seeing is the fact that you have a more efficient unit. It's actually filtering out more items in the air than the cheaper ones will. They get dirty quicker. They get clogged up quicker. And what that tells me is it may be the time of year because of the summer. You've got more people coming and going through the doors. Maybe windows have been open occasionally. Even if there's more activity in our homes, and I've noticed this when my kids are home or relatives are there, there's just dust and fibers that are in your upholstery. And as you sit on those, as you've got more beds being changed and used, all of those things stir up more items, more particles in the air, and the filters will become dirty quicker. But the filters that you're talking about, just the fact that they are a better filter, they're going to collect more than the very inexpensive ones do. I don't think you have an issue. The filter, they may put a time frame on them, but they're going to collect what's in the air. So so don't worry about the time when they're dirty. Just go ahead and get rid of them. That's right. There may be but other times. Let's say the winter or you're gone for several weeks. You may come back and say, hey, we've been able to get four months out of these because they still look great. Right. Okay. That answers my question. Whatever, Thank you so much. Whatever you do, don't let them get so dirty air can't move through them because your unit right. becomes very inefficient. Yeah, we don't want that. No, you don't. <laughs> 
we want to stay cool. <laughs> you, you want to stay cool and you want to be energy efficient. That's right. Thank you, Ken. Thanks for the call. Bye. Appreciate your call. Don't forget, if you'd like to join us, you can always reach Ken Patterson, Ken the Contractor, at 800-614-2975. And don't forget about our website, KenTheContractor.com. A lot of very useful home improvement information and information about repairs and projects on the web at KenTheContractor.com. You can friend us on Facebook at Ken the Contractor and follow us on Twitter at Ken Answers. We'll take a quick break and come right back. You're listening to Ken the Contractor. Welcome back. You're listening to Ken the Contractor. If you'd like to be part of our program, you can. Multiple ways you can participate in the program. You can give us a call at 800-614-2975, or you can forward email questions to Ken's website, kenthecontractor.com. You can also leave us voicemails at 800-614-2975. Time for our green building segment. And what are we going to cover this week? A green is not always about just a product that can be recycled, but it can be about saving energy. And Linux just this week has unveiled a new Wi-Fi-enabled thermostat that allows users to save energy anytime from anywhere. Obviously, we know Linux is a leader in the heating and cooling air conditioning industry. And what they have released, they call the iComfort, that's iComfort Wi-Fi thermostat. Again, this just hit the market within the last couple of days. So you may not have it in your backyard just yet, but you want to ask your HVAC folks about that. This is uh, this functions through cloud connectivity. The iComfort Wi-Fi thermostat lets you monitor and adjust your home's temperature from anywhere in the world with any smartphone, tablet, or other web-enabled device. One touch on the thermostat app. Our website puts the iComfort Wi-Fi thermostat into energy-saving mode, money-saving mode, making the iComfort Wi-Fi obviously ideal for all of us, especially if we travel and we're away from home occasionally. And if you do what I'm always telling you, and that's set it up, if you're going to be gone several days, you want to turn it back down a few degrees as you come home for comfort, you can do it remotely so that that home is comfortable when you get there, but you're not paying all that energy fee week after week while you're gone. So you want to look for it. Ask your HVAC contractor about it. If you're into smart technology, that is the Linux Wi-Fi-enabled thermostat called iComfort. And we go to the phones. Joining us right now is Peggy. Hi, Peggy. You're on the air with Ken the Contractor. Yes. Uh, how often should an air conditioner uh, duct system be cleaned? If the filters are changed on a regular basis, you really shouldn't have to clean it. That's my professional opinion. I've, I've dealt with these for decades. What I find is when people allow air conditioning filters to get so dirty that air or to run an air conditioning unit without a filter, and I've had people do this, all that dust and dirt is being sucked right in, not only across the coils into the unit, but into the ductwork as well. So as long as the filters are properly changed during the life cycle of the equipment and the duct as well, and as long as it's never run without a filter, you shouldn't have to clean them. Okay. And I have another question. Okay. Uh, we have a crawl space, and you uh, said that plastic is good to put down, would you get a general contractor or is it somebody that just deals with uh, basements and crawl spaces? No, you don't need to go to a general contractor. A lot of the, if you're not able to do this yourself, a lot of the insulating companies, no matter where you live, will do this uh, as part of their service. They typically insulate crawl spaces and as part of their contract when they're insulating, they will also 
put plastic or vapor barrier down on the crawl space. So their people are trained and skilled at installing it. And some would say, well, it's no big deal to install it. But if you don't put it down right, if you don't seal around the piers, uh, the pads that support your interior foundation, your beams and so forth, and if it's not tight, uh, tight fit to the foundation, you still have areas for moisture to come up in there. So I would suggest you contact an insulating contractor an insulation company, and have them give you a price. The material itself is fairly inexpensive. Uh, a roll of 2,000-square-foot, uh, uh, 6 mil plastics probably going to cost $100 or so. So that gives you some idea of material. The balance is going to be in your labor cost, but it's well worth the investment. You eliminate a lot of potential for mold, mildew, and that humidity coming up out of the ground that will work its way into your home. Okay. Uh, the uh, foundation uh, around the house, inside of the crawl space, uh, we see it's not water coming in, but we could see where the blocks are damp. And uh, I don't know, is that would that be from the humidity or... It's going to be a combination of both. One, it could be humidity if you have no plastic on the floor. But typically, crawl spaces are not waterproofed. It's not required that they be waterproofed by code in most parts of the country either. So you've got ordinary block installed. If it's not painted and there's no waterproofing put on it, then whatever ground moisture you have is going to work its way right through that block. It's going to act like a sponge. Well, and, and I know, caller, that I had a case. Uh, I had somebody doing some work out of my house. He said, hey, you got a whole bunch of water under one specific corner, and that happened to be where my downspouts were emptying, but I wasn't taking the water far enough away from the foundation, and all I had to do was take that water a little farther from the foundation, and it dried up almost immediately. So things like that will help, and also be sure you have a positive slope for the earth where it abuts the house so water's not coming against that foundation wall. You want to send that rainwater away from the house. But again, what you're describing is not uncommon for typical crawl spaces. There's no code requirement in most of the country that they be waterproof. But the, the vapor barrier on your floor will help you considerably. Don't let the other issue uh, deter you from doing that. I would go ahead and make the investment for the vapor barrier there and then see if there are other issues you have around the perimeter that can reduce or minimize the amount of moisture in your block. Okay, thank you very much. We appreciate your call. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. Don't forget, if you have a question about your home inside or out, it's 800-614-2975. That's a contact number. Time now for our app of the week. And uh, we are right in the midst of official... Hurricane season, and you've got an app that relates to that this week. This one is brand new. The American Red Cross has just issued their app that I think all of you will find quite useful. And you're saying, well, I don't live in a hurricane-prone area. I'm inland. Well, it doesn't matter. Chances are pretty good. You have friends or relatives that do live in an area, and this app can be very beneficial to you or maybe helping alert someone that does not have the app or just isn't staying up to speed on it. So the American Red Cross launched this official hurricane app, which puts life-saving information in the hands of people who live in or visit hurricane-prone areas. Now, this is a free app. And it was created, as I said, by the American Red Cross for use on both iPhone and Android platforms. It gives instant access to local and real-time information on what to do both before, during, and after a hurricane strikes your region. Now, the app also includes a number of features that allow people to monitor personalized weather alerts in locations where family and friends reside and to share information with others in their social network who might also need it. So it's a great way to stay connected, to be alerted. If you're living inland, you've got a loved one on a coastal area somewhere that's not paying attention and you want to be able to help alert them, 
I can see this being a real life-saving tool. So the app's social features, obviously, will help friends and family stay in touch during the storms. Also, it allows people that are in the storm to communicate with others where communications are going to be spotty from time to time through the social network. They've got an area called I'm Safe. And if nothing else, it's all the people in your network. You click one button, and it sends out something that says, I'm safe, so they're not as concerned about you where you're in spotty communications. So check it out. It's by the American Red Red Cross, and you'll find it not only on your desktop, but you can go to your smartphone, uh, to your tablet, and download this. Well, you know, and I think if it hadn't been for the weather we've experienced in the last 18 months to two years for a good portion of our listening audience, you might say, oh, this is something nice, but will you really need it? Yeah, it, it really doesn't matter where you're listening to us, whether it's on our affiliate in South Dakota or you're in Huntsville, Alabama. Or it, it just doesn't matter whether you're in the coastal region, inland, Virginia, Pennsylvania. We have seen everything in the last 12 months. And the American Red Cross, we know, is always there for us and for our communities. This is one more thing they are doing to help us not only stay safe in the environment we're in because of the warnings that will come through here and through the National Weather Service, which is also part of this app, but also for us to communicate with our loved ones and for us to be able to let them know that we're okay after an event in our area. Once you download this app, basic information on safety and other things you need to know to help get through a storm will already be in your smartphone. We've got to take a quick break. We'll be right back. You're listening to Ken the Contractor. Welcome back to Ken the Contractor. Ken Patterson is Ken the Contractor. He's a Class A licensed contractor who's designed and built multi-million dollar commercial and industrial projects as well as single family homes up and down the East Coast. Don't forget, you can friend us on Facebook at Ken the Contractor and also follow Ken on Twitter at Ken Answers. You can always be part of our show by dialing 800-614-2975. Let's go to the phone lines right now and we say hi to Betty. Betty, thanks for holding. You're on the air with Ken the Contractor. Yes, I have a question. You were talking about the crawl space area. Yes. And I have a house that's three years old, and the crawl space is completely insulated all the way around the walls and a very, very heavy plastic on the dirt portion. And I was just wondering, is it necessary to do, like, the underneath part, which would be the ceiling down there, and, of course, your floor upstairs? Would that need to be insulated? Your crawl space is not conditioned space, is it? The fact that the perimeter walls are insulated yeah. is a little uncommon in a code cycle going back probably now, maybe three code cycles back, which would have been eight, nine years ago. The building code allowed contractors to add temperature control to crawl spaces, but the perimeter walls had to be insulated. And in that case, and the floor has to have a vapor barrier, which you have, but that eliminated the need for insulation between the crawl space and the floor, but there would be ductwork in that space. It would be some type of positive ventilation from your heating and cooling system. Yeah, yeah. Do, does that exist? That's completely wrapped in insulation okay. when they put it in. Now, all of that is completely wrapped. Right, it's none it, that's exposed. But in your crawl space, do you have any, is there ductwork moving air? Is it heated or cooled space? No, no, it's just the space for storage. Okay. Well, then they may have it prepped for that, but as long as the perimeter is insulated, it's going to be a little bit like a basement. You don't have to insulate what would become the ceiling if you have an unfinished basement in the floor above, as long as all of your perimeter walls and windows are properly insulated and sealed. Uh Because what you've done is create that solid envelope down there so that you're you're eliminating the hot and cold from moving back and forth. And it's no different than having a two-story home where you have it insulated again between your main floor 
and your second floor. So, no, I can tell you it's not necessary if you have proper insulation all the way around the perimeter, and you've described that as well as the vapor barrier. I would say this, that if there, there's no temperature control in that space at all, there may be some benefit, but I'm not sure whether it would be worth the cost of putting the insulation in. Okay, so this wouldn't be an, a code in resale of the house. I mean, that wouldn't have any bearing on the resale of the house. It sh- no, it should not because you have that space insulated. What it's doing is with the insulation around the perimeter, it should be maintaining a constant temperature in that crawl space, not getting too hot, not getting too cold. Basically, whatever that ground temperature happens to be is what you're going to see there. So I think you're fine with what you have. Betty, thank you. We do appreciate your call. Uh, let's say hi to Melva, who joins us right now. Hi, Melva. You're on the air with Ken the Contractor. Well, thank you. Hi, Melba. Hi. I am just impressed with your follow-up on my question. Oh, well, thank you. Uh, and I will uh, reiterate again. Uh, this is my situation. I have a crawl space with my furnace and my air condition and a humidifier there. Uh, the problem has been an ongoing one since last year. Uh, there seems to be water that's... Um, well, there's lots of drip, enough water coming under the cores of the uh, air conditioning unit that I have tr- plastic trays under there. Okay, so and the insulation around that unit, uh, under those cores, is soggy, wet, and therefore that's the reason I'm letting it drip in those pans. The technicians that have looked at this said. Uh, I, we really don't know. We suspect the pan may be licking, but we don't know until we pull the uh, uh, insulation apart and look at it. Well, let me tell you this. This is my question. Do I, this is 20-year-old units, and do I continue with the cost of diagnosis and then entertain the repair? They don't know yet, or do I just go with replacing the whole unit? Well, you've asked the question. You might not like the answer, but it's going to involve taking your checkbook out because with a 20-year-old unit, I would not put another dime in it for two reasons. One, in most cases, when it's that old, it's already three to five years past the anticipated life cycle of that type of equipment. Even with new equipment today, 15 to 18 years is the anticipated life cycle. But more importantly, that equipment is going to be so energy inefficient by today's standards, that you will reduce your operating cost, your, your both your heating and cooling. And I mean that because I know you said you've got a, uh, uh, if I recall, a, a gas furnace, and it's uh, the electrical feeds the air conditioning side. But in both cases, equipment is so much more energy efficient today on the gas consumption as well as the electrical consumption that you're going to be saving money month after month over your current operating cost. You're going to end up with new equipment with a manufacturer's warranty, In some cases, you're going to find five years or longer. Some manufacturers are offering 10 years out there with five years on labor. So you need to do your homework and see where the warranty comes into play. So my bottom line to you with in this particular situation, Melba, is I would be replacing the equipment and not putting any more good money after bad going forward. Should I do uh, the air conditioning unit and the furnace at the same time? Therefore, it would be less expensive that way. Yes, absolutely. You should do. Are they the same age? You haven't replaced one yes, component. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. And the, the house was built in '93, and the air conditioner is working fine. But I just don't like this 
what's happening down there. Well, if it's tw- yeah, 20 years old, I can promise you, 19, 20 years old, you're going to have big problems with it sooner rather than later. If you're going to replace one component, you should replace all because they are designed to work in tandem for maximum energy efficiency. You also want to be sure they're the same brand. Don't let somebody sell you uh, a furnace that's by Ajax and you've got an air conditioning unit over here you know, by Fred's Manufacturing. You want to be sure that you have units that are compatible, designed by the same company, that work together for maximum energy efficiency, also for your benefit to be sure that you have not only your contractor's warranty, but the manufacturer's warranty. That's really where the teeth happens to be from the manufacturer. Check around because, as I said, there are manufacturers today, not the contractor, but manufacturers that are honoring and issuing in written form anywhere from five to as much as ten-year warranties. On these, and that's worth big dollars if you if you got peace of mind for as much as ten years on a piece of equipment. Yes. Well, thank you. These are York now. This is what is in there now. Well, York York is a good brand, and if you're happy with it, you want to look for York uh, a York dealer and and get a couple of quotes. You could also look at Train and so many others in the marketplace that are good brands that have been tested and been out there for a long time. Whatever you do, this is going to cost you a few thousand dollars. You want to get at least three bids, and then you want to check out the references from those contractors and be sure everything's on the up and up. Well, this has been this company that's doing it. They have I've had the annual maintenance uh, check maintenance on these every spring and fall. So I'm inclined to go continue with them. The, I don't know. No, they're they're a great place to start, especially if you're established with them. But you want to check those numbers, and you might call around and get a couple more prices. Each week at this time, Ken Patterson takes your calls, questions, and comments about your home inside or out. You can reach Ken a couple different ways. You can forward questions to his website. That's KenTheContractor.com. You can email him questions, and also you can leave voicemail questions there. Ken goes through and answers those questions individually, but also we bring some of the more interesting ones, some of the more timely ones, each week here to the radio show. And also at our website, don't forget, you can hear podcasts of previous programs. If you did happen to miss a recent edition, of Ken the Contractor. You'll find them all listed right there online, along with a lot of very helpful household information. That'll wrap up this hour of Ken the Contractor. I'm Jim Britt, along with Ken the Contractor, thanking you for making us part of your weekend. And don't forget, if you've got a question about your home inside or out, you can always reach Ken at 800-614-2975. You're listening to Ken the Contractor.